It is Monday, August 1st here in Draft Shark Studios in Rochester, New York. Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Matt Schaff. With me, as always, is Jared Small. And with us today is a special guest, a Bengals analyst, Joe Goodberry, to try to give us some insight on last year's Super Bowl runner-up, especially from the fantasy standpoint, obviously. Joe, thanks very much for joining us today to talk Bengals. Thanks for having me, guys. Western New York represent over here. Yeah, we were just talking about that before the show. Joe's about an hour west of us, uh, especially me being on the west side. So maybe I'll have to uh, come knock on your door after the show to get some specialized Bengals uh, updates here. Yeah, come get some wings and bring a garbage plate with you and we'll be good. There you go. (laughs) Sounds like a good trade. So let's kick it off with what to expect from the offense on hold. The Bengals ranked 15th last year in situation neutral pass rate, 51.5% through week 15. Then at the end of the year and through the playoffs, that spiked 59% over that range. We saw them start moving that way over the second half of the season. What do you think that that's going to look like, the pass run split for this team this year with the maturing passing game? Yeah, it's funny because the previous year when Joe Burrow was a rookie, right? And you kind of didn't know what to expect with the first overall pick, bad team, you know, bad offensive line still even going back all of 2020. And they were the, while he was healthy and on the field, they were the num- number one neutral pass rate team in the league. I mean, there was a lot of people projecting 650 plus attempts for Burrow come, going into 2021 just because they could see a similar situation where the whole line's not good, the team's not good, and they're throwing the ball a lot. So I think a lot of people expected that with the caveat of, When's Burrow going to be healthy and how long do they have to baby him, uh, you know, going into last year? Uh, and you saw, I think, definitely the first month. First month, they were 21st in neutral pass rate at 56%. Uh, the next month, when they started to get a little confidence with the Ravens games, Packers games, you know, they actually had to start throwing it and, and competing a little bit. Uh, they were 70th or 70% first in the league. So it kind of went real run heavy pass heavy. Then they went back run heavy through the bye week, trying to figure things out and coming out of that. And then pass heavy again to finish the year. Uh, I think they want to be a pass first team, but it's funny. The the story of the Bengals, I think last year overarching is they were whatever the defense wanted them to be. And on defense, they were whatever they needed to be on on defense. They'd be a multiple defense. They'd be a zone defense. They'd blitz. They'd drop everyone in the coverage, wherever you want them to be. They would be it in order to win the game. On offense, it was very similar. If a team wanted to play in a a two shell uh, coverage and not let Jamar Chase beat them deep. Fine. They'll run the ball until you come up and, and defend them. And they were a decent running team in terms of uh, um, when they needed to lean on it. Joe Mixon carried the team in a few games. I think at the Vegas game in Vegas, uh, where they the game 16-13, I think with three minutes left in the third quarter, the Bengals end up blowing out the Raiders all on the back of Joe Mixon just really carrying the team at that point. Let me ask you a related question since we're talking about the basically what the coach can control. I was very skeptical of Zach Taylor heading into last season. I'm assuming that many other people Mm -hmm. were as well. Then we got the way last year was. What do you think of Zach Taylor as a coach, as a, you know, offensive designer? Did he finally just get too much talent to be able to screw it up? Or should I be crediting him also with what happened last year? No, it was the too much talent part, definitely. Uh, I, I don't think that's a knock on Taylor, though. I, I believe that's how most coaching staffs and coaches are in this league. you got a good quarterback, you've got weapons, you're going to have a successful offense. You can only handcuff them so much, right? And Everyone's running the same plays. Uh, it really comes down to decision-making. Are you aggressive? Do you want to go for on fourth down? You know, and, and that's really what's separating coaches right now of the teams with good 
uh, quarterbacks, good offensive uh, systems. And I think their offensive system is good enough. I think they figured it out. I think they had to figure it out with one hand behind their back with how bad the O-line was with Burrow coming back from injury. Uh, there are plenty of things I like about Taylor and his staff. I do think that they'll be able to, well, at least the way they talk and sound, is that they'll open the playbook more once they're sure this offensive line is good and capable. Uh, and I believe them because there are so many things that they just couldn't do with that O-line. I mean, you, it, it's Joe Burrow was predicated or um, had to predicate his entire reads and everything on the, what he saw pre-snap. He dropped back. You know, my first guy's not there. Do I have a chance to dump it off, get to read number two, or do I have to move and make a play in the pocket? Because I'm not being able – I'm not going to get backside. I'm not going to get that that 15-yard dig to T. Higgins because the O-line is just not going to protect for it, not consistently at least. So I think there will be much more built into this offense to take advantage of it if it is, in fact, good. Let's talk about the backfield here. I mean, Joe Mixon was awesome for fantasy owners last year, but – the passing game usage still felt underwhelming. You look at the amount of third down snaps he played, you know, Samaj Piran was like quadrupling him up over the second half of the season. Do you expect that to change for Mixon? Is he going to play more third downs, more obvious passing downs, or is it you know going to be Piran or going to be Chris Evans? I've expected it to change for five years now, and it is not yet. I mean, honestly, it's one of the more frustrating things about um, this, the way they've used them, this franchise in terms of using their weapons. When, when they – we're struggling to find a receiver when they were struggling to find a guy that could be that third down. I mean, cause Giovanni Bernard, when he was there was a really good pass protector, but there were a lot of times where he just was limited in what he could do. Right. And when you draft Joe Mixon and that draft, I'm looking at it like Alvin Kamara, Christian McCaffrey, like these, this is, this is a good receiving class. Mixon's right there with him running routes for, for Oklahoma, catching balls deep downfield. Uh, this guy should have been a hundred target type uh, of running back. Instead, Leonard Fournette's getting more targets than Joe Mixon, and I'm just like, this is not right. This is not. This is not. This is not what I saw on tape. Now, the other side of that is there's been some frustration with Mixon in his pass protection. There's been some frustration uh, with his ability to catch the ball. There are times he just goes up with it one hand when you know you could just secure the catch and try and make a play afterwards. Uh, don't look too far upfield before you secure it. And I, I think that there's a little give and take there. Uh, I thought he would be the third down back when they released Bernard before last uh, summer. And then instead it, it turned into uh, Mixon isn't reliable in that role. And then they went to Samaj P. Ryan, someone who's very unspectacular, really doesn't offer anything that you can find from most, you know, third running backs probably in, on any depth chart in the league. So having said that, just today, Zach Taylor says that Samadre P. Ryan is still the number two, and he's they called him a security blanket, which I think that's how they view him. To be honest, it was a very volatile offense. You didn't know where Burrow was going to be at to start the year. You didn't know what the offensive line was going to look like. Jamar Chase was coming off a, a, a very interesting preseason in camp where there were some concerns about him last year. Uh, T. Higgins was, ended up having a shoulder injury uh, in week four. No, we happened week two against the Bears and, and lasted a few weeks. But uh, – there was a lot of inconsistencies or high variance factors in that offense last year. And I think the one constant is we know he's not good, but at least we know he'll do his job. Smaj P Ryan uh, as a pass protector. And I think that gave them comfort, but at this point, I think they should be past that. And I guess we'll talk about the guy that can maybe could unseat that. Well, and we hate to hear that as fantasy players, but I yeah. mean, if you think about it, it's, it's not hard to understand why a coach would lean on a guy that he can just trust it's such a, a difficult job where your, your job is pretty much on the line every yeah. week. Yeah, I agree. And and like I said, so much volatility in that offense. I, I'm with it, but he did make a couple plays in the postseason as well. He caught that screen against the chiefs went all the way. I mean, they're, and then of course we end it with a, a, a third and one where you can't pick it up in the, in the Super Bowl, And it's, 
They started the year that way, though. The Vikings in the overtime week one, they had it from a 50-yard line. They had a third and one. They handed it off out of shotgun, same formation to P. Ryan. He got stuffed, and the next play was a fourth down pass to C.J. Uzama. But they ended it the way they started it. Do you buy um, Samaje P. Ryan hanging on to that number two role? And I think I think more importantly, if Mixon were to miss time this season, what do you think the backfield would look like? I think it'd get really split. I, I do think they really like Chris Evans. He was drafted last year in the sixth round out of Michigan. That's a guy who didn't get to carry the ball too much at Michigan, but a really good athlete, really good receiver. I just think they want to really develop him in terms of we need to see you a more consistent runner in between the tackles. We need to know you're not going to bounce it out. It's a zone scheme. You know, you can't just run for the corner every single time and try and get around the edge. Uh, they want to see him do more in pass protection, obviously, when you're not doing it much in college. Most of these guys need a lot of development into the NFL. Uh, I think Chris Evans probably needed a little bit more, but I would say for what he was and what the expectations were, he completely outperformed Smaj P. Ryan last year. It's just a small sample size. And can he take that next step? Will he take that next step? Man, if I had a, a bug in, in Chris Evans' ear, though, I would be telling him, dude, it's there for you. If you want to take it, if you show you can be that pass protector, not only could you be that number two guy, you're in on third downs in a high passing offense that is a big role there in front of you. And he might be the starting kick returner. So uh, if, if that all works out, there's there's a chance there for a little bonus points if you you know you get a little bit of kick return uh, touchdown here or there once a year. Uh, but yeah, I do think there's potential for that. I just don't know. I don't know if it'll shake out right away, but I do think that's someone I would stash and hold on to and watch if I got a really deep bench. The kick return angle is especially interesting because it doesn't play a huge role in fantasy, but there are a number of leagues out there that give kick return points. So when it's a player that you're already thinking about stashing Mm -hmm. late in a draft, if you can add that potential, then that only makes him more attractive. Hayden Hurst is replacing basically CJ Uzama uh, in this year's offense. Uzama got 63 targets over 16 games last year. Do you think that we should expect Hayden Hurst's role to look similar to that this year will it be more or less i think it could be very similar to that i think he's a little bit better of a receiver than cj uzama uh, in terms of a detached type tight end where you the bengals like to go empty and spread it out anyways i think hayden her spine upgrade in that role i think he's probably a downgrade when they bring it in and want to block and do more play action game and and you know he's got to get a little bit dirty and stay and be a little bit more physical than Uzama was was decent at it turned into a decent player at it because he wasn't good coming out of auburn at it um but so I, I think it'll probably be, and this will probably be similar to every player we talk about on the Bengals. It, like best ball, I like all of these guys better. Why? Because I think it's going to be given uh, based on the opponent or any given week. It, it Rarely did they have two guys go off in a game. It was more like, oh, it's a mixing game, and that's just is what it is. Oh, it's Jamar Chase game, and they're going to feed him 14 targets today. Uh, there were times Uzama, man, two touchdowns in a game or, you know, against the Ravens. Uh, it, it just it was a game where the, they were not going to let anything happen down the sidelines. Fine. The Bengals took it over the middle all, all game and Uzama had a huge night. Uh, same with the Jags. He had two touchdowns that game as well. Uh, yeah, so I, it's probably going to be dependent on the opponent. So it's going to be hard to predict and hard to judge. Like, so that's why I like the best ball format for, you know, for this team, especially uh, T Higgins included, Tyler Boyd included. I think all those guys will have a big moment. You just sort of be hard to project, project and predict. Having said that, uh, I do think the Bengals are scheduled to see more based on what defenses played last year, scheduled to see more middle of the field closed, which means more vertical deep shots. And they were, this is a team that lived off it last year. Uh, they're number one in the league for this year going into 2022 for what they ex- they're expecting to face, which means similar. 
I find it hard to believe based on what defenses are looking at. Like, hey, why would you continue to play cover one or cover three against this team? I think we're going to see more middle of the field open instead and more cloud coverages and saying we're not going to get beat deep. We're not going to let T. Higgins and Jamar Chase streak on the opposite ends of the field and just as we get stretched out completely. I think we're going to see more middle field open, which means Tyler Boyd and Hayden Hurst are going to have to be ready for big roles in certain games. Uh, it's something I will definitely watch beginning of the season to see how these defenses are playing. It's something I'll definitely will update as it goes. Like you can usually tell, does this defense like to play more cover two, cover four type than I want the slot guys and tight ends. If they're a cover one, cover three type team, give me Chase and Higgins on that day. And of course, if he is taking on the Uzama role, all we have to do really is predict which weeks Hayden Hurst is going to score 30 yard touchdowns. Right. <laughs> No problem. That, that is a good point about the you know game planning stuff and how the Bengals would just kind of take what the defense gives them. Maybe it's a Chase week, one week, and then Higgins week. And, and I think that that's why you know and, and we we love Jamar Chase, but I think that's why we have him behind guys like Cooper Cup and Justin Jefferson, just because like they're you know there's there, there's no weeks where it's not a Cooper Cup week. There's no weeks where it's not a Justin Jefferson week. Chase just has that you know added competition. The Bengals offense just has so many weapons they can go to. I will say, though, they are moving Chase around more, it sounds like, and they're going to put him into the backfield a little bit. We saw it in the playoff games where they start doing that more often. They're going to put him in the slot. We saw that more as, as the season progressed as well. Uh, I do think they like the idea of him being their number one go-to. Here's 150 targets plus, and uh, that means you're going to feed him and move him around and, and keep giving it to him. And it doesn't seem like Higgins and Boyd care because they get they get their targets. They're getting 100 plus each, uh, you know, if everything goes right. So I, I do think plus it means Boyd can get outside a little bit more, and he wants to do that. You know, I, I don't think that's his strong suit, but you know, if you're getting chase inside against a uh, a weaker nickel corner or a safety. I mean, it's money all day. I think of that last uh, Ravens game where Burrow threw for 525 yards. Uh, They're just playing cloud coverage, and the Bengals couldn't get their shot off to to Chase. They moved Chase in the slot. They actually went three wide, three by one, so the tight end split off to the right, three receivers to the left. It was Higgins as the far guy. Uh, and then Boyd and, and Chase in the slot, and they're just running routes off each other, combo routes, and they just could not be covered. He's the Ravens going to his own defense. Bengals are just dumping it off five to eight yards to Chase, and nobody could touch him with speed. And he's making everyone miss. He's he's jumping over guys going 16, 17, 18 yards, jumping out of bounds. And it's like, yeah, they can't even touch him. If you guys want to play this, that's fine. He's not going to beat you for 40, yeah. but he's going to chew you up uh, underneath. And I think we may see that a little bit more. And it's worth remembering as awesome as he was last year, that was coming off a year away from football. And this is just his second year in the league. So it's quite possible. He's just even better than what we already saw. I want to shift it over to defense. Cause I like to try to put Jared to sleep before we finish out these shows. Uh, the first question is a little bit more obvious. I think most folks who play IDP know that Logan Wilson looks like the top guy at linebacker for the Bengals. And he looks like he could be a top 12 linebacker overall, but what I'm curious about, Joe, is how you expect things to settle out behind him. Is it definitely Jermaine Pratt as the second linebacker? Or do Is there a chance that we see somebody else get that number two linebacker role this year? No, I think it's definitely Jermaine Pratt. They like him a lot. He's going into his fourth year now. I think he's developed the way they, they've wanted him to. The rare linear progression, taking a small step every single year, in, in one through four. Uh, so I, I do think they like him as that. But there were times last year in the beginning of the year when Akeem Davis-Gaylor was healthy that they were taking Pratt off and putting Gaither on in more coverage situations. And I think Gaither can blitz better, and I think he can rush better. He did it a lot at Appalachian State coming out. I think had he not gotten hurt, his role may have expanded as we, as the season went along, especially because Logan Wilson ended up going down for a good chunk of the year, and they had to rotate through guys, Marcus Bailey and then Joe Bocci, 
both guys end up getting hurt as well. It was a kind of a run of injuries until Logan Wilson came back. Uh, so I, I've got an eye on both Bailey and Akeem Davis Gaither with a big edge to Davis Gaither just to see where that goes there. But yeah, I'm with you. I think Logan Wilson, the only concern I have with him is I, I believe he only played like 400 snaps his rookie year and then got hurt again in year two. Something to keep an eye on if, if he's just durable enough to handle a thousand snaps. And he at least looks like a basically 100% playing time guy when he is in there. Do you think we should expect maybe more like 70% for Pratt with Davis Gaither or Marcus Bailey if he beats him out, taking some of that away? I don't even know if it's going to get to 70 for Pratt if they're all uh, – if everyone's healthy. Plus, because when Jesse Bates shows up at safety, you've now got three good safeties because they drafted Dax Hill in round one. I think you take off – if you have concerns with Pratt and coverage, you take him off, put Von Bell in there, and then you've got Dax Hill and Jesse Bates running the back half. And, man, that sounds great. Uh, you know, I think that's a lot of potential to upgrade in your coverage and your athleticism. Uh, so I do think there is potential for – now we got to see if, if Bates and Hill are good, right? If, if Bates, we expect to be good when he shows up. But if Hill is good as a rookie, other than that, can, that plan can come to fruition. But if not, then, yeah, I think 70 would be right. And on the low end, 55%-ish. Yeah, it sounds about like what I was expecting. The last one is a bit of a deeper cut, more so for Dynasty. Joseph Osai is somebody who I really liked as a prospect heading the last season was a third round pick, an edge player. Then he missed his entire rookie season. What do you know about what the team thinks of him and, or what do you think of him? Should we expect, is there a high long-term ceiling for Joseph Osai and any chance that he carves out a significant role this year? Yeah, I'm high on Joseph Osai. I had him as a first round graded player um, in that draft class, a really strong edge class two years in a row. So I, I think, you know, for him to get a first round grade from me and that means I, I really, really liked him. Uh, you know, I, he was kind of a guy who played linebacker and then moved to edge for Texas because they needed him. And man, he looked good. And I, I'm not sure where you would have been drafted as a linebacker, maybe like a third, fourth round type guy. And then when he showed he could rush the passer to go in round two, I mean, or round three, I'm sorry. I, I thought he was going to go in round two. Uh, I, I think his stock really uh, and prospects for NFL game really, really shot up there. But um, the thing here is Hendrickson last year as the right defensive end, mainly a uh, really good year, but they, he got overused like crazy. I mean, he played the most snaps in his career by far. And then the long stretch into the postseason really overshot his career snaps. He was worn down towards the end of the year, still playing really well. He seemed to be able to turn it on at left at rush. And it was Sam Hubbard. Now Sam Hubbard was there because Osai is out for the entire year. I think they, the plan was originally to kick Sam Hubbard inside, let him rush from inside. He's done that a lot in his career. Uh, hasn't really been, great at it but he's a solid guy you want is if he's your fourth best rusher you're doing all right so the way i look at it now if if, if osai comes back he's healthy and he is what i expect him to be what i think the team expects him to be he's probably going to rush from that left end spot in nickel at the very least he's got a starting job as a nickel package that could be 60 percent of the snaps right there it could be upwards of 80 on any given day depending on the opponent we can project that pretty easy going into a game too uh and i think that from there would be hendrickson at right end bj hill and and sam hubbard on the inside uh, I do like that. And I think at that rate, he's the guy that probably gets the least amount of attention, could really sneak up on some offenses if they're not really paying attention to him. And I think that could definitely happen with the year Hendrickson had uh, with how much Hubbard plays and how much hustle and how much effort he gives. He demands lately some attention. And B.J. Hill's coming off a seven-and-a-half sack year. So I think there's a big chance here that Osa now, and people say I'm putting way too much expectation on a guy that was a third-round pick and didn't play it all last year and played one preseason um, – quarter and look great in it against the bucks but point being is i'm with you i'm like if i can get that guy if it's a stash or whatever it is i think the upside and payoff there is huge 
Yeah. And that's the thing is I just heard all those things and it's, I'm getting goosebumps. So you're talking about him. It's not, this is what he's going to do. It's, this is what he could do. And we're talking about a player that's at stash level right now. You, if he's probably available on lots of dynasty waiver wires. So stick him on your roster, see what happens. And it, you know, if nothing happens, you don't really lose anything, but it, I, I agree. There's a lot of potential there to potentially mine. That's how you win the league though. In my opinion, you guys are the experts on this, but you need to hit a couple of those guys, those stashes that you're like, boom, there he is. This guy would have been a second round, third round pick had he, we have known he would turn into this. But there's a few people that will give you a hint that they think he could be that. And for me, Joseph Asai is one of those guys where I just think if he ended up with 10 sacks this year, I wouldn't even be shocked. I'd be like, yep, that's what I thought you would do. Joe, we're, we're going to have to let you go because I'm getting a little too excited <laughs> over here and I'm not going to be able to contain it if we go much further. You can find our guest on Twitter at Joe Goodberry. Joe, what can people expect to find from you on there? Yeah, it's mostly Bengal stuff, but there's a, a lot other. I will talk about every team. I'll talk about rookies. I like the draft season, so you'll get a lot from me from every team. I can talk almost any team in, in depth. And uh, from there, uh, I hope to have a more consistent way to give you guys content that I can talk about later this summer. Sounds good. I'm intrigued to find out what that is, and I'm just going to go think about Joseph Osai as soon as we're done with this. That's going to do it for this episode of the podcast. We'll be talking to a bunch more team-specific reporters and analysts this week and beyond. You can catch every episode on the Draft Sharks YouTube channel, on Apple, on Spotify, and of course, on the flashy new podcast pages right on DraftSharks.com. So check those out. For our guest, Joe Goodberry, Jared Smola, and the rest of the Draft Sharks crew, I'm Matt Schaaf saying thanks so much for some of the 